0: Scottish Mortgage seeks out lateral thinkers like academics, authors and experts in the industry to shape our investment ideas, not the usual suspects and narrow mindset of financial analysts and investment industry commentators. That way, we continue to build a portfolio that reflects real-world progress, not financial world noise. Scottish Mortgage is managed by Bailey Gifford. A key information document is available by visiting baileygifford.com. As with any investment, capital is at risk.
1: Hi, you're listening to The Advice Show. Uh, This is Zakharar Sharif from NMA. I'm here with my colleague, Nicola Blackburn, and founder of campaigning group uh, Reboot, Noreen Middleshaw. Noreen, how are you?
2: Yes, good. Thank you, Zach. Hi, Nicola. Hello. It's great to have you here. Thank you for having me. No, thank
1: you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, So, yeah, Noreen, so you're head of marketing communications for Numis, and you also founded Reboot. Um, Can I just ask, first of all, um, why Reboot was set up, um, why you felt the need to set it up, and... um, how it's all going with reference to your report last year as well.
3: Sure, so I'm going to give you a very long winded, but I'll, I'll try and keep it um, to the point <laughs> as well. But Reboot, we, um, it's our second anniversary actually, we launched two Januarys ago. Um, so obviously with the, you know, the horrendous murder of George Floyd um, in, in that summer, I just think it, it had ramifications across the globe. So what was a very American, a very a black race issue, it, it just obviously resonated in many ways. Um, across the globe within the workplace and it, it allowed other marginalised groups to speak out and you know you look at the UK and it's got its own very unique dynamics with race and ethnicity, um, a very, you know, with our colonial history, etc. But I think for the first time, and I'm not going to give away my age, but in my many, many decades of of living, um, I just noticed there was a very um, a different um, view in terms of how people spoke about race. All of a sudden, it really shifted, and it it was, it was definitely a bit of a milestone moment. Um, and it's something I've always observed as a British Pakistani growing up in a very um, in a very white area. And not that that's good or bad. It was just you know like observations I've always had and. Having a communications um, background, I just decided to write a few blogs about, you know, things that impacted my family growing up. Um, and, you know, very quickly, I realized the power of storytelling and how people resonated with the stories and they were able to um, relate to them because I, I shared something that, you know, other ethnic minorities said, oh, that happened to my family, etc. And, you know, it actually sparked a very healthy debate, uh, mostly within... You know, my LinkedIn network is mostly financial services professionals, Um, you know, and it really got me thinking, um, you know, in terms of the role that I do, you know, we're the bridge between these companies and these great journalists who then provide a platform to share these stories. So, you know, what else can we do just to ensure that this momentum stays? Um, and that's kind of how Reboot was born. So it started off with lots of communication professionals, um, you know, that give up their time across the industry. Um, we work with lots of senior ethnic minorities um, of, of lots of different job roles, mostly within financial services, and you know, we want to really showcase them as role models for the next generation coming in, but also to raise awareness. Um, and we'll talk about this later, but you know there is this discomfort still about talking about race in the UK. So we're trying to normalize the conversation, and then more importantly, with all these insights and stories, etc., you know that we're we're collecting, you know we want to make sure that there's going to be long-lasting, sustainable change. Um, so we are hoping to have some more sort of regulatory or some sort of reform at a policy level as well. Um, so you know, so we can have something really impactful that comes out of it as well. So that I hope that kind of explains that's reboot.
2: Definitely. Um,
1: yeah. Sorry.
2: Can I Nicola, can I on. can I ask on that, um, um, Noreen? Because obviously your your experience and background is in financial services. So I was wondering when you took um, the kind of writing that you were doing on this topic and launch reboot and kind of focused in on financial services and this issue in financial services, was that because you saw in particular it was a sector that could be looking at this issue more, or do you think it was just you know a way of marrying um, something that you were really passionate about? with, you know, the sector that you were in and you wanted to kind of do work in that sector?
3: Yeah, definitely the latter. But um, and I suppose the my original blog was actually based more on my dad um, when he came to this country. So it was regarding a, a, you know, a FTSE 100 company, so not within financial services. Um, So, I mean, I would I would love to do all workplaces, you know, but the, you can't boil the ocean. And I just think within financial services, w- we know the industry, we know we know the media landscape a lot better. So we thought, actually, if we're going to create impact, let's Let's, let's just start off here and see where we can go um but it is i mean it's great that it is financial services just because we have that dual hat within our industry so yes it's you know one of the largest industries within uk um it but it's also it has the fiduciary responsibilities as well so you've got your double hat there so they are also investing on behalf of you know millions of everyday people so they also have that um that sort of that asset stewardship that sustainability um that role as well so so in a way it was quite lucky that we went to financial services because i feel like it can have a it can cascade further than financial services as well but we need to get our house in order first
1: absolutely and and on that subject you know um you spoke about how Um, you know in the wake of the events of sort of the last couple of years that progress has well momentum was your word which was quite a good word to use um, has started and kept going and that applies to financial services as well Um, I'm quite interested just because uh, I entered this profession um, only a year ago so I wasn't aware of what the progress was like beforehand Um, and I just want to ask how much do you think has been made sort of since that, since a year, about a year ago, and how much do you think there's still more to do?
3: Yeah, so I think if we were going to be really honest, I mean, we've the, the financial services industry has been talking about diversity for a long time, um, and but it, I suppose the focus has been more on on gender diversity, and that kind of makes sense because you know females they make up 50 percent of the population and there was definitely a huge disparity in the, and there really is now as well i think what the blm movement did is it, it it put a spotlight on race and ethnicity so yes there's been things happening about it but it was not often forgotten but it definitely wasn't high on the agenda like it is is now. Um, So I think over the last couple of years, we've definitely noticed there's a lot more noise around it. There's um, a lot more training around it within organizations. There's a lot more awareness around it. So we're definitely seeing positive impact. But I think, um, you know, the Race to Equality UK Financial Services report, we, this is the second year. I think what we're finding is whilst there's a lot more happening, um, there's no tangible impact on the back of it. So the issues still remain the same. Um, so yes, it's great that we're talking about it and it's great companies doing are doing a lot more. Um, you know, there's still a long way to go. But however, we're looking at there's still a lack of, you know, senior ethnic minorities in those in the, in those positions. And it makes it harder for others to get into the industry because, you know, naturally as humans, you want to see someone that looks like you or you can relate to. If I can see it, I can be it. And, you know, um, and that's actually stopping a lot of progression for ethnic minorities. And, and, you know, they're saying that they need more role models. They need to see more people in senior positions. So they they know they can make those roles. So you know that's still an issue um but the other thing that's an issue is 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 data so i can't tell you you know specific data i can give you indicative i can you know i can tell you what these findings are saying but because there's no real way of capturing that information yet um you know it's hard for me to give you a proper lay of the land on what's going on and until we really know it's hard to come up with a really specific plan to try and you know remedy what those what those issues are so that's kind of where we are at the moment
2: Mm.
1: Um, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that lack of data point is really important. Um, and I think if we're, you know, if we're referencing the progress that, and even then it's extremely limited progress that, um, the industry has made in terms of, um, a gender diversity balance, because even then the lack of women in CDA roles is pretty, pretty outstanding still. Um, and CityWire has done quite a bit of work referencing that in our alpha female surveys. Um, but um but sorry even comparing with that relative with that change of gender diversity you're right it is different um there is a lack of data um it does, there's no sort of granularity going on over um you know how many people of british pakistani descent are in financial services how many and you can't you can't then break that down by section i suppose um do you think a lot of this stems from what you were talking about before about uncomfortability uh, talking about race um that perhaps isn't there with gender diversity?
3: Yeah, there's there's, des- there's definite discomfort. And I've got to say, we've got to kind of move on and get a little bit under the bonnet around the conversation. So, you know, we're all familiar with the term BAME, um, but that's kind of been now discontinued, so to speak, by the government. Um, so it had its purpose. It's, you know, it, it, it did what it had to do, but it, it was just too broad brush because, you know, you're talking about, so many groups of people under you know these four headings, and you know to give you an, an example, y- you know you've got the Asian group, which is eight percent of the UK population, and that is so diverse within that. So you you cannot lump so many people within that. So I obviously look at it, you know, coming from a British Pakistani angle, I very seldom see British Pakistani senior you know figureheads. So when I do, I you know I, I take notice to it. But people will look at me, they will just see a brown face and then they think, oh, but you're doing well, Um, you know, but we've noticed it's it's our black peers that aren't doing so well. But then you speak to your black peers and actually they're saying there's, you know, the experiences between someone um, of um, black West African origin versus black Caribbean is very different. Um, And then thank God for the ONS data, because, you know, you can get some sort of idea of what's going on there but you you see it's the black Caribbean women the British Pakistani women and the British Bangladeshi women that are the lowest paid and the most underrepresented Um, so I think people need to not only get comfortable with it they need to really understand the nuances of what's happening in the UK Um, and that's why that granularity is really important and that's why you know, you look at the gender pay gap reporting that's been so well successful. it's it's definitely made a difference. You know, we would like to apply that to ethnicity pay gap reporting, but but get that granular information so we can really understand how different groups are faring within financial services and you know, and really help create a roadmap on how we can make those improvements.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, Noreen, in your opinion, when you were when you were doing the research compiling this year's report, did you find that, Um, You know, the majority of the the barriers, I suppose, came at the stage of um, recruitment and and getting, you know, these groups into um, the workplace and financial services in the first place, or was it more when they were there? Um, there were issues within the workplace. What what did you find? Yes,
3: yeah, so I think what we're now hearing is, um, you know, at an entry level, it's become less of an issue because I think a lot of companies are creating that diversity at an entry level. But I'd be very surprised if nothing happened before before this. So I'm pretty sure it always happened, but there's, there's definitely more onus on it but i suppose it's you know you need to look at the complete picture so whilst it's great all these new entry level people are coming into the industry i hope people won't assume oh in 20 years it won't be an issue because now we fixed it but that's not mm-hmm. it because who is making sure that we retain this talent? Who is making sure, um, you know, they will also get um, a fair share of, you know, um, what their white peers are getting in terms of opportunities, etc. Um, and you know, who will make sure they, they're not going to have those glass ceilings, etc. And at the moment, we're still seeing all these issues, which are, um, you know, which are obstacles in terms of, you know, ethnic minorities reaching their potential. So if these barriers are still there, there's no good in having all these great entry level talent coming in because what will happen is and what the report is saying is that they're just thinking of leaving some Mm -hmm. are thinking about leaving job because they're not getting what they want out of their career but some might just leave the industry altogether. and we don't really capture that data um you know and it's really interesting because a few people I have spoken to that left financial services um they don't say why specifically because it's subconsciously there but you just have to ask them a few questions and they end up saying it just wasn't for me. I didn't fit in. Oh, you know, I didn't I didn't do I didn't go drinking or I didn't play golf. Um, you know, and I just I wasn't getting anywhere. So I went off and I set up a business. So they're not saying it wasn't inclusive because they probably don't even realise it themselves. They're just they're just leaving though, because they just don't feel like they fit mm-hmm. in or that they'll make it. And you know, and that's very
2: telling. Definitely. Yeah. Something I found really interesting that the report picked out was that even though we're seeing, I think it was like more and more um, financial services firms implementing diversity, equity, inclusion training, um, you're also seeing a rise in um, people um, feeling, you know, not supported in their workplace. Um, So I wonder if that pointed to kind of um, some of the things that you were bringing up about, um, you know, maybe just Thinking about how this was actually helping people, and and sort of, you know, the, the outcomes that it was producing in terms of making people feel more included and, um, you know, understood, I suppose.
3: Yeah, and I hope this report isn't all doom and gloom because as per your point, I think ethnic minorities, although survey respondents have definitely noticed there's been an uptick of um, different DNI initiatives within the organisation mm-hmm. over, um, over the last couple of years. So that's great. And I think but I suppose where the issues then stem from is um, they feel like they're not being spoken to. So the initiatives that come across I think, you know, that they're created in, I would say, isolation or employees aren't really um, considered or, you know, they discuss it with them. Because if you find, you know, if you hear what the actual initiatives companies are doing versus what employees actually want to see, there is a little bit of a discrepancy. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, there, there definitely is maybe a lack of communication between the leadership and And their employees and and also yes there's lots more going on but i think there's still a leaning more towards supporting gender diversity versus um, ethnicity and i think that just goes back to that discomfort you know to talk about it and i think we you know discussed in a previous call but you know in terms of that discomfort i think what it also comes down to is um Yes, women make 50 percent of the population, but you look at, you know, who holds those senior roles and, you know, I don't I don't think I'd be offending anyone if I said it's normally a white middle class male, you know, so they are likely to have a female in their life as their wife, their partner, their daughter, their mum, their sisters. So actually, gender diversity is something that they can get behind. They relate to it because they have that at home in their personal lives as well. But you know, then you've got 14% of the population, which is an ethnic minority. But what are the chances that they have something similar in their lives, like in their social circle, in their friends, etc.? Mm. Um, so for many, it could therefore become a little bit uncomfortable to talk about race because they're not familiar with it. And unfortunately, that does then, you know, come into the workplace and they're equally as uncomfortable to talk about it. So it, it you know, but they don't realise indifference is actually, um, you know, it's it's bad news now because we need allies, we need people to support us and we need people to, you know, be very proactive about showing that they're supportive of, you know, support, supporting ethnic minority colleagues. Mm. Absolutely.
1: And um, I think that <coughs> there can also be a danger <laughs> of... Um... <laughs> so,
0: um, um, yeah no worries I've got
1: a It's <laughs> it fine well, i only said one Who word a uh, <laughs> head of you no, I, yeah, was I
3: was that, like head of multimedia you love Alan <laughs> <laughs>
1: could have come could have come and joined
3: yeah um, <laughs> great <to see> Alan <laughs> special guest
1: <laughs> yeah um uh, what was I saying um oh yeah
3: uh, <laughs> thank god you remember <laughs> yeah um,
1: <laughs> okay um So yeah, I was just thinking as well about um, the danger of uh, sort of diversity and inclusion training feeling quite sporadic and that disconnect revealing itself between what employees want, what I think minority employees want and what the employees are actually giving. Um, And I wonder if it stems from that, if it stems from um, the, the the sort of uncomfortable nature of talking about race and the fact that people might not have diverse friends and therefore don't have that understanding. Um, which is obviously fine, but that understanding there needs to be, needs to be educated. And I wonder if it all stems from that, because, you know, it can be perfectly well-meaning, um, to, to have a series of webinars or PowerPoints or however companies decide to do it, um, just for educational purposes. But I think viewing it in that framework can sometimes feel quite sporadic. I wonder if that's what you feel is behind possibly, um, a lack of a sustained policy going forward
3: yeah and i definitely think more consideration and sort of research needs to go into that element because you'll notice some people say oh i am comfortable talking about race and then they're really not like so i so i think what we got you know what we figured out is they want to be allies, they want to be comfortable about it, but there is something stopping them. Um, so, so yeah, so I just think there's just so much more research and understanding that needs to go into that element uh, before we can really figure out how do we how do we fix this. Um, but it's just it's almost becoming a, um, a a hurdle like that's that's almost blocking us from making that real progress. And until those senior leaders. They, you know, offer that tone from that top um you know where they make it okay to talk about race and you know the rest of the employees there will feel comfortable we're offering a safe place and this inclusive culture it's it's not it's going this is going to continue um you know and like i said well i haven't said sorry but you know if we do talk about culture within financial services it's it just really worries me that the majority of people that responded the ethnic minorities in the survey 82 percent i believe they you know they said they still have um they've had unwelcome remo- they've unwelcome remarks about their background this year alone and half of them actually did address it with hr and you know then when they got to hr they felt that it wasn't dealt with properly and in fact not only was it not dealt with properly some felt like um, like they were they were looked at differently once they did it um, and that their manager treated them differently and in future, they won't be going back to HR for it. And um, some had to take mental health leave. Um, you know, so that comes at a cost to, to the business. So, so actually, you know, there, not only is there a discomfort that you know we do need to address the culture and you know what practices are are there in terms of you know. So there is an actual zero tolerance to you know to any form of discrimination. But you know, a quarter of the respondents said actually it's so it's okay to say racist jokes in my company. It's not it's not frowned upon. And you know and. For me that was actually quite shocking that in this day and age you know i think people get carried away with woke culture and whatnot but actually you know you you just have to look at this data and say it's we're not it's not there yet like there's still a long way to go yeah
1: uh, and, and you know coming back to your point about understanding i guess it's that thing of viewing viewing um viewing uh, diversity in the workplace as a topic and as a, as a initiative and a topic, rather than something that just needs to be space standard at all times. Um, which is why, because I believe that was 75% um, of people of respondents in the survey felt that HR wasn't effective about dealing with the issue, which is again, pretty shocking.
3: No, it really is. And, you know, and, and I think you've just touched on it there, you know, diversity and inclusion, is sometimes seen as this fluffy thing. So the senior leaders, they're like, oh, off you go HR or head of DNR, you sort <clears> it <throat> out. But actually there's a huge business imperative to it as well like you need to have a diverse workforce because you know you you need to have diver- diversity of thought and you know, um, post Brexit, the, the UK, we we need to, you know, be more innovative and we we need to compete so much more. And we really need to be touched, you know, like um, sort of tapping into that talent so much more. So, you know, it, it really needs to come from the business, not just, oh, we need to tick this box. We need to have a brown face, a black face and everything in between face. You know, it's it's so much more than that. And, you um, you know, to give you an example, and it's not mine, it's the wonderful Gillian Tett in her book Anthrovision. Um, you know, she's the editor at large for the Financial Times. And, you know, she she talks about the um, the 2008 crisis. So we had these wonderful innovative products called CDOs, you know, which a group of mostly men, you know, created and um, and their intentions were good. It was about de-risking. It was about creating more liquidity, you know, globally. And, um, you know, I had all these different instruments packaged up and no one questioned it because, it was complex, it was full of jargon and, you know, it, people were too scared to challenge these, these really smart men. So everyone just subscribed to the fact, well, these are great because it's going to do risk. It's going to add more liquidity to the market. And, you know, we all know what happened after that. And, um, you know, and but you just think, what if there was that more diversity of thought, people from looking at it from lots of different angles and, you know, ways and not being scared to question and to challenge, etc. Like would it would it have been different um so you know so there is that imperative because because you need to look at risk from your business perspective but you ne- you need to look at how you're going to have more you know create more innovation and it and it all stems down to having the right talent but that that diverse talent that going to offer you all these different viewpoints and you know this goes back to that so so yes i'm quite passionate about the fact that it, it you know it really needs to be that looked at it from a c suite level not just you know what we're seeing now t- to be outsourced to other parts of the business um but but again you know some say they are some say they're not the, the jury's out on that
1: yeah and i also i guess it comes um from you know the, the point of not seeing it as a box ticking exercise um i mean certainly from my experience i've also found across all industries including financial services that when there has been i think minority representation um a lot of times <clears throat> there's um it's it's uh, it feel it can feel quite like a boxing exercise just because class isn't considered as a factor um, and I think that goes for diversity generally, including gender diversity as well, which is saying, oh, okay, that's fantastic. You've got, you've, got, you know, you've got a guy here from an Indian descent, that's fantastic. But at the end of the day, he went to the same schools that <laughs> these other people went to. And I think it's, it's, it's not thinking about diversity in, as, as a series of box ticking, but actually just a cultural shift and thinking how can we include people from different backgrounds yeah. and how can we get diversity of thought? Because I think classes are a factor that often gets forgotten um, with all these other things to consider. Um, and the only solution to that, well, I guess one solution to that is to just think of it all as a cultural shift rather than little policies we can implement here and there.
3: No, and, and absolutely to that, there's a, there's a whole lot of intersectionality to your point. Um, you know, there, there is a big class issue within the race and ethnicity, but then there's the gender point as well. And, you know, it was only a few years ago in America, there was, um, you know, there was this debate that gender diversity should be for all genders not just dare I say white middle-class women because that's what kind of happened Um, and again it goes back to who are the senior leaders who do they relate with most and and that's quite natural that's a very human response to it so I think I obviously focus on um, race and ethnicity but we you know but we all we always do it with the with the view that we're trying to bring it in part of this bigger puzzle which is around lots of different types of diversity and yes socioeconomic comes into it, um, gender absolutely comes into it. But, you know, but there's there's other things and, you know, we're talking about neurodiversity as well. Um, Yeah. But it's really how do you embrace all of it? um, You know, and some 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 are doing a great job, um, you know, but we're very we're very early on. I think that, you know, the debates only just started to happen. It's you know, you're looking at quite a seismic shift that has to happen to get there. But, you know, and, and I think what our role is just to make sure that we're we're cracking that whip, we're creating that momentum so that conversation stays. Um, and hopefully the right people are listening to us and the you know, the right experts, etc., they're getting together and and these changes are are happening and policies are changing, etc.
2: Mm. Um, can I ask? Because um a lot of our listeners um will be um in executive senior positions at um financial services firms. Um, so I, you know, I think this could be of interest to them. But how, um, could you maybe like pick out a couple of examples where, of um, you know, initiatives or, or things that firms have done that maybe you've seen um, that you think have been really in tune with actually what um, you know ethnic um, employees, you know, that they that they have responded well to, and it's and it's really helped kind of what they need um, to feel comfortable in in the workplace.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think just having open discussions about race has Mm. has actually been quite positive so we've heard there's been instances where we've had um you know small groups of people come together and you know the c-suite will come and they they will instate a conversation they will ask questions and it will be a two-way conversation um and and it's just like a very open um you know very confidential discussion but it's both sides trying to educate themselves and and really sort of um um you know, unpack or unpick those those issues and just everyone being okay about it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they've been really useful. On a more practical level, there's um, one around sponsorship. So mentors are really important, but actually, you know, what's more powerful is, is the idea of sponsorship. So a senior ally, you know, supports an ethnic minority, they mentor them, but they also ensure that there are no barriers to their career progression. So they're almost helping them You know just to make sure that they are going their career trajectory is where it should be um and so they support them through that journey and you know there's been a couple of instances where you know we've heard that actually that has worked and you know there's been some promotions and you know this person has made it to to, to this, to, you know, to a certain level, and had that not have been there that, you know, it definitely wouldn't have happened. So on a more practical level, I do think the idea of sponsorship is really important. Mm.
1: Yeah, so I just wanted to ask you as well um, about, because um, we're speaking about um, a cultural shift that sort of needs to happen. Um, and obviously you know the practical result of what we've got now with the underrepresentation of ethnic minorities um and i just wonder because obviously there's barriers to entry but then importantly there's also barriers to ethnic minorities ascending the ladder essentially um and i wonder how much of that do you think is due to just simply a different culture and an unconscious bias um versus how much of that you know um how much of that is down to a lack of policy or a lack of regulation or anything like that
3: I think it's a combination of a a lot of things um so so i mean i give my career as an example it's it's not front office it's communications and marketing but you know there was there wasn't many professionals in my family so i just assumed i'd make it to a certain level and i wouldn't have to worry um you know coming from a very traditional expanded asian family you know the women have children and then they stop working so that's all you know, that's all I really saw for myself. So, you know, so unless you see someone doing it that, you know, it's really hard for you to just say, oh, I'm just going to make it to the top, I'm going to keep going. So I think it's the lack of role models um, or, you know, seeing people in senior position, that is a bit of an issue. Um, But then also having more, having more policy and rigor, I do think probably is needed. So I know as a financial services industry, we do think regulation should be a last resort. But we've seen the positivity or the positives that have come out of the, um, the gender pay gap reporting. So I think on this occasion, we would just have to say, no, we just have to. Bringing bring in mandatory ethnicity pay gap reporting, um, you know, alongside the, the training that we're already seeing, the sponsorship, more mentoring. And I think once all of that comes together as that complete package, you can then start noticing that change. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, at entry level, it's great. Um, but the moment, you know, you start wanting to climb that ladder, we th- that's where you start, you know, to see a lot of those issues. And we, we really should be looking at it holistically and just try and pinpoint where are we going wrong? How, you know, how can we remedy it? So once you have all of this data, all of this insight at your fingertip, you can make a much more informed decision on how, you know, on how to just create a way to to move forward and mm. and hopefully, you know, bring those numbers to to a more more of an equal balance.
2: Um, not, not that this by any means should be the core reason that firms should embrace DE&I or, or kind of just, just turn their attention more towards it. But do you think there is a lack of understanding among firms about actually the financial benefits of bringing in, you know, focusing on a, 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 like having more perspectives in the workplace and, and the benefits that that can bring to, to their work and therefore the financial health of their businesses?
3: Yeah, I think they're slowly getting there, it's it's slowly it's slowly happening. But I I just think, you know, people have been doing things a certain way for so long. Humans were creatures of habit. um, And I just think it's just changing that mind shift that, yes, morally, it is the right thing to do. And I know some of you just think we're, you know, we're here as this fluffy exercise. That wouldn't be great if we were, you know, a diverse and inclusive industry. But actually, it's gonna help your bottom line. Um, and not only would it help your bottom line if you're not going to do these things, it's you have a reputational risk on your hand because investors are voting with their feet, they are becoming a lot more demanding. Um, so you know, you look at the AGM meetings, there's there's just a lot more going on in terms of activism now. Um, employees are are activists in themselves now. So you've got you know how LinkedIn and Twitter have grown so much now. Um, so employees are, you know, they're being more vocal and all of these things can have a reputational issue mm-hmm. um, or reputational impact on your company. So you you know you need to look at it from many angles. Um, but there's um, there there is there is a risk involved. Um, but there's such great benefits involved if you do get on board. So again, do do look at it from all those different you know perspectives. But mm-hmm. I just think at the end of the day, there's all these great reports out there, and McKinsey, you know, they they've done some. But you know, it just it just proves that having a diverse um, you know, employee base, it's, you, you're just, you're just going to perform better. Mm. So, it, you know, to me, it just, it, it just, I, I'm still surprised that we have to justify or, you know, explain to people that it's a good thing.
0: Mm.
1: On the um, practical points of, of um, you know, of, of promoting um, a diverse workplace and educational initiatives that firms can take, have you found anything that's particularly useful in terms of DNI training, or or perhaps not useful that a lot of firms are doing, which they could be doing better?
3: I think the one that I've heard that has done really well is when you know external consultants come in, um, um, and and they kind of. They, they force like you look at the leadership team um, to do certain exercises and you know sort of sort of group discussions etc and it really it takes them out of their comfort zone mm-hmm. but actually they leave thinking they they have learned they have been educated but I just think when you have a third party world well, they're a bit braver perhaps and they can really ask those questions and really challenge mm-hmm. um, you know so that there are different types of things that have worked or or not worked but I think people are getting a little bit tired of unconscious Bias ones because I, that's been happening for a long time, but they're like, well, we, we need more now because it seems like everyone knows what that is. Mm-hmm. But how can we be more specific and, you know, go a little bit under the bonnet?
1: Also, um, I, what comes to mind for me then, there as well, is um, sort of passive training of mandatory. PowerPoint or Zoom link and here's a presentation, watch it for half an hour, then that's it for about the next three months. Um and and what seems to work best is getting people involved, getting people talking. Um, because that's really where the problems lie, because it's not a it's a it's a problem of you can't articulate it. And if you can't articulate it, yeah. then you can't deal with it.
3: No, absolutely, yes. I mean, I'm always a fan of face-to-face group exercises versus a very, you know, a passive watch the screen and then over your lunch
1: possibly in the short term um we spoke about the commercial benefits um of of you know having um a more equal and diverse workplace um do you think that there's we that there's momentum for uh, investor pressure to improve representation and there's actual uh pressure coming down on firms now from an economic standpoint to improve um their diversity in their workplaces
3: absolutely and um Reboot is actually part of um, Share Action's um, steering group. So this year, um, um, alongside Share Action, and other grassroots um, organisations, um, Share Action um, started a campaign to say we want FTSE 100 companies, specifically, let's start off with financial services, um, to disclose their. Um, the ethnicity pay gap data so we actually went to all the agms of those financial services firms um i went to the infamous um aviva one um and and you know and it was amazing like most of them said yes they will that they you know it's something they're passionate about it's something that they want to do so we'll go away and continue to have those conversations um you know and share action um you know, they they're they're at the they're, they're an activist group and you know they represent lots of investors. So you know, so it was just so that they're, they're kind of a collective coming together on behalf of these asset managers. So we're definitely going to see that. And you know, you look at it from an asset owner perspective, um, that they're doing the same thing. So you know, they, they are now asking those questions in terms of, you know, what as a firm are you doing to, to create a diverse workforce? What is your data? And if some of the if these companies come back with, oh, no, we can't collect that data for various reasons because it's actually not, you know, a regulatory requirement. Think the, you know, the asset owners are pushing back and saying, well, you need to find a way then. So, yeah, there's going to be growing pressure coming that way
2: from, from the investors. And, and, you know, to me, I think that's a really positive step forward. Mm. it's it's interesting to think about um how important that is and and will probably um, become uh in in the kind of financial services realm that we you know that we write about and for because there's a lot of consolidation and mergers and acquisitions happening in that space at the moment um and so you know presumably um, acquisitive businesses more and more are going to be looking at potential businesses that they want to buy and and saying you know well what kind of you know how much do, do these kinds of issues matter to you, um, and how much are you kind of um, truly invested in improving it because it's it's um, really important for your business. You know, um, so I wonder if we'll see that become more and more of a of an important consideration um, in the kind of mergers and acquisition space as well. You know.
3: Yeah, and I I would love to know if, you know if that will because I think at the moment where we've been speaking, it's it's not been a huge consideration so i think mm. esg broadly does get discussed and i think e gets more attention quite you know understandably oh the rest of it so i think it's starting to happen but i i it, i just don't think we're there yet but i would mm. love to see at what point they will you know like other industries have you know they some are quicker than others, but they are all headed that way. So mm. I'm hoping that's what's going to happen there as well. Yeah,
1: it, it also speaks, I think, to the data point earlier because mm. um, you know when um, in this industry, when firms want data about something um, from a from an investing standpoint, they get it. <laughs> yeah. So if if so if, if we had widespread a widespread sort of data on um, ethnicity um, and in in terms of employees um, I think then you can just get a b- bigger picture of okay this is working this isn't working what's happening here what's not happening here but it's a very interesting point about managing in acquisitions because um, of course what when you're acquiring a business you look at all sides of it but one of the things is of course employee practices um, and you know staff and workplace and you know
2: and retention, a- retention and things like exactly
1: that. Um, are they good at keeping people what are the practices like so it would be great to have keep doing that but also from an ethnicity point of view
3: or, or just broader diversity. Yeah. And yeah, and you know, and as per your point or everything we've been discussing, I think the more we're comfortable, the more people educate themselves and we move on from this very broad diversity or inclusion topic to understanding how, you know, the ramifications on all parts of the business, we can start asking those intelligent questions and we can start moving the needle a little bit more. And, and hopefully, that's what's happening. Um, unfortunately in increments but we are you know we are seeing progress
1: do you think it's um, mainly driven by um simply employing people at senior positions at the top um because uh, or do you think a lot of people are doing it without ne- without needing to i'm just thinking about the pace of change here because it's quite slow but one of the reasons that some people might think it's quite slow is just because it's quite slow getting people getting ethnic minorities into senior positions
3: yeah and i think change can never be overnight so you know and and if you're going to make real sustainable change you know it has to happen at a certain pace and you know and i and i get that but i think we need to just remember diversity is one word, um, equity is another word and inclusion is another. So whilst people or, you know, decision makers are very good at the diversity aspect or they get that now, but they need to make sure that they're, they're looking at it from an, an inclusion perspective. Like, will this person feel like they fit in? Um, and, you know, in the equity, are they getting the right resources just to ensure that they will they'll get to where they need to um y- you know and inclusion for many at the moment is you know and i you know i did a separate um blog a wide ago where i spoke to 20 um financial services professionals but it, you know they still felt like they had to conform to the culture and they're like you know and a lot of them were like but i, d- I don't go skiing or you know i'm not into yeah, rugby yeah, yeah, yeah. you know so so there was so so i just think yeah it's great that it's happening but they are separate words, and you need to look at all of them just to, to to make it right. Because, like I said, that we're not going to be able to retain the talent; they will end up leaving. We know they're already to at other, you know, other roles already. Either within the industry or outside of the industry. It also
1: speaks to your earlier point about the term "bame," right? um And why we stopped using it is because it was used to hit to inadvertently possibly uh hide um a lack of uh, employees of, for example, from. Uh, Bangladeshi descent or Asian descent just because you'd get a uh, you get a lot of black employees or vice versa yeah. <laughs> so um, I think these terms are always changing and it's good that the terms are changing because they are useful for a time right um, but even even I sometimes think when they're saying the word diversity it's like well follow that up diversity of thought diversity of gender diversity of yes. race right so it's good that we're having these conversations but I guess we need to keep talking um, and keep getting people talking to each other because otherwise the terms get too stale
3: Agree. agree. Um, and I think the thing I'm most excited about is, and again, not to give away my age, but you are seeing Gen Z coming into the workplace. So there's definitely been a shift in mindsets um, and millennials are taking on those more senior roles. So I just think naturally that's going to drive a lot of change. But mm-hmm. honestly, God bless Gen Z because it's, mm-hmm. you know, Coming into the workplace, what they want, what they expect, you know, it's very different to what the millennials wanted versus, you know, the generation before. So I just think this is all going to help towards making sure these conversations keep happening. They keep evolving. So, you know, so again, I hope I haven't been doom and gloom because I I do think, you know, progress will be made and and there's loads of great driving forces at the moment. Um, But we just have to, you know, groups like Reboot, amazing journalists like you, we just have to do our bit and keep the drumbeat going um you know just to make sure we're making enough noise and that change will happen and you know we put pressure on however we can
1: so i just wondered about the pace of change there um i noticed that it was a bit slower in financial services compared to other industries um and i wondered whether that was just because um Oh, the age and the clients just that that point about gen z whether the age because the age of clients and advisors generally quite are uh, older i think it's about 50 um the, the average advisor age and i wondered whether you think age might be a factor there or why you think that financial services seem to be a bit slower in catching up than everyone else
3: honestly i i don't have the exact answer but it's it is a homogenous industry um so the dem the demographic is quite concentrated um so and you know and it's been like this for centuries and centuries um so you know you're not going to be able to break that in a day so i you know i i do feel like this it's just really breaking that mold um you know and it's it's the industry seen as quite elite so to speak and y- you know you look at those with those really senior roles, where did they go to school? What sort of an education did they have? Um, you know, and obviously these are not my words, but it is a bit of you know that old boys club that comes to mind, etc. So it's really, um, you know, that's your starting point. So it's really having to break that down and really, you know, sort of bringing that fresh talent or explain that, or you know, to to explain that why diversity is so important. Whereas industries maybe it's not so. Um, so solid in the sense that it's easier to break into. So I I do think that that kind of plays a a factor within it. Um, But also that lack of data, um, you know, until we start getting it. And it's great that the FCA is looking into, you know, the possibility of ethnicity pay gap reporting. But I just think once we have that data, you just can't hide away from it. And I think once we have that lay of the land, like we can really, really do something with it and hold businesses to account. And, you know, and, and again, th- those investors and other stakeholders to continue to put that pressure on. And I think that's when you're really going to start noticing change beyond increments.
1: Definitely. Um, that seems like a great point to end on. Um, Noreen, thank you so much for joining us. Um, you've been listening to The Advice Show uh, with me, Zach Sharif, uh, fellow NMA reporter, Nicola Blackburn, uh, and our guest from Reboot, uh, Noreen biddle Thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you at the next one.
0: Scottish Mortgage seeks out lateral thinkers like academics, authors and experts in the industry to shape our investment ideas. Not the usual suspects and narrow mindset of financial analysts and investment industry commentators. That way, we continue to build a portfolio that reflects real-world progress, not financial world noise. Scottish Mortgage is managed by Bailey Gifford, A key information document is available by visiting baileygifford.com. As with any investment, capital is at risk.